Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. It's the holiday season. Time to binge watch shows, read all the books piling up on our nightstands, and listen to podcasts on the long drive to Grandma's house. Today we talk about the best podcasts, shows, and books of 2021. Do you have some recommendations for us? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. You can also share a recommendation, a comment on Facebook, or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Coming up, we hear about the top podcasts of 2021 from Esquire and later Breakwater Books in Guilford joins us to talk about what should be on our reading list. Right now, we welcome back our favorite TV critic, NPR's TV critic, Eric Deggins, on Zoom with us. Eric, welcome back. Wow, that's quite an honor. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. We love to hear from you, Eric. I, oh, so am I the only TV critic you know? Probably, right? <laughs> oh, I think there might be some others, but you're definitely one on top of our list. Now, when we think about uh, the last year with shows, the last time you were on, you were talking about Dope Sick, which was just coming out. I understand this is actually your top pick this year? It is. It is indeed. Um, you know, for me, I look for shows that are not only really well uh, executed, but also really uh, say something unique about something that's important that's happening uh, in society. And so Dope Sick, of course, is this story of how the opioid crisis in the form of uh, the spread of OxyContin addiction sort of gripped the nation. And we see it from the perspective of, uh, you know, a ruthless corporate executive at Purdue Pharma who was pushing the company uh, to, to push boundaries in terms of how it marketed uh, the drug to doctors. We saw a, a doctor played by Michael Keaton, who was kind of bamboozled into overprescribing the medication to his patients and then eventually himself. Uh, and then we also see prosecutors and people in government who eventually try to hold uh, Purdue Pharma accountable. So you get to see all the different aspects of the issue. It's, it's you know, we've got stars like Rosario Dawson and, and Michael Keaton and Caitlin Deaver doing just amazing work. And, um, you know, it, it's something that um, I think a lot of people don't really realize the extent to which uh, the company sort of uh, pushed boundaries and, and, and how hard it was uh, for prosecutors to hold the company accountable, and this is a uh, a struggle that's continuing to this day. We just we just heard that a uh, a judge overturned a, a settlement that would have shielded the Sackler family that um, ran Purdue Pharma, owned it at one point during the time of Dopesick. Uh, it would have shielded them uh, from culpability uh, in some of these lawsuits that they're facing. So. Uh, it's something that's right on the front pages right now, and it's really well done. So that's why I made the top of my list. 
It's also uh, Dope Sick based on the book by Beth Macy and a great read for uh, listeners who want to learn more uh, behind uh, this great series. Uh, when we think about other uh, series coming out that are depicting uh, communities in our country, Netflix's limited series Made uh, did just that. I wanted to play a clip from the series where Alex, single mom, is trying to secure housing for her and her daughter. Let's take a listen. So according to you, you're not abused and you're not homeless. Why are you here? We don't have anywhere to sleep tonight. Here's the deal. I need two pay stubs in order to get you on the list for subsidized housing. And even then, the wait list is long. Um, I'm sorry, is there anything else that you could actually do for us here, please? Honestly, without a job? I can't do squat. Okay. Um, I just, I can't get a job if I can't afford daycare. Well, we have access to subsidized daycare grants once you have a job. I need a job to prove that I need daycare in order to get a job. I love this clip, Eric. It actually goes on where she has more choice words uh, for this uh, this government employee. Uh, What's your take on MAID? Well, what I love about MAID, again, you know, it's an illustration of an issue that is, uh, you know, pressing in society. This is a woman who, um, you know, is sort of emotionally abused by her partner, uh, but, you know, wasn't physically abused to the point where she could prove it or had called law enforcement or anything like that. And, you know, she doesn't really have a job. So when she tries to leave him with her uh, child, um, you know, the, the services available to her are negligible. Um, the people who are dealing with her are full of contempt. And she also has this mentally unstable mother, uh, played by Andy McDowell, who is actually the actress Margaret Qualley's her actual mother. So we get to see wow. uh, an actual mother, um, daughter, uh, you know, uh, mother, daughter in real life, playing mother and daughter uh, in this really compelling Netflix series. Uh, and so, and 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 both Maid and Dope Sick, I think, do a really good job of portraying working class white America. And that's something that um, I think a lot of TV um, makers were wondering about, you know, in the age of Trump, you know, have we neglected certain parts of America? Are we not showing what's happening? And so I think these two projects, I mean, we've seen a lot of projects try to do this, Hillbilly Elegy last year, Mayor of Easttown this year, but I think these two are sort of the best examples of really authentic and unsparing looks at, um, you know, uh, sort of segments of white, uh, working class white America and the challenges that they're facing, which, uh, you know, sort of, of course, should be a, a part of the rich tapestry of uh, media that we're creating these days. You're hearing Eric Deggins here on Where We Live, NPR's TV critic, as we get uh, his uh, list of, of top shows in 2021. If there's something you're watching that you want to recommend, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You know, sometimes uh, these shows can be heavy, and so it's nice to uh, be entertained and watch other people's dysfunction. I'm talking about Succession. Of course. Uh, Eric Deggins on <laughs> HBO. Let's talk about that. This is, I think, the third season just wrapped up on on Sunday. Um, why is this yeah. on your list? 
Well, yet again, you know, there are real life sort of analogies to this family. This is about a really dysfunctional family that controls uh, a sprawling entertainment company. The patriarch played by Brian Cox is this legendarily ruthless figure who, you know, uh, when the series started, this is the third season. And the first season, it started with him supposedly handing over the reins to his middle son, but uh, um, uh, then deciding not to do it. And, and, and all the ripples that sent through the family. So this season, uh, we had that, that son, um, you know, going to, uh, threatening to go to the authorities about a scandal inside the company to try and oust his father from leadership. And there was this uh, fight between, you know, uh, they, the, the son and the dad asked everyone else to choose sides. And towards the end of it, was when the story really took flight and we saw these characters sort of cut through all their self-denial and nonsense and backbiting and to realize the truth of the relationship they have with this father, which is in almost entirely transactional and about bullying and about manipulation. And by the time they get together and realize that they need uh, to team up against him, uh, they're already outmaneuvered. And the question is, what are they going to do about it next season? So um, this, you know, on the one hand, it's family dynamics that we all understand and that we've all been through. But on the other hand, it's about these families that are part of these family controlled uh, companies that have great power and great, great reach, like the Murdochs who own, uh, of course, News Corp and Fox uh, News and, you know, that huge empire, and also the Trumps uh, who were in the White House and controlled the government for a time. So um, it's, a, it's a great, you know, way to sort of um, feel like you're a fly on the wall watching this powerful family kind of go through a lot, but then they're also squabbling with each other in a way that you can really relate to because everybody's got a family. Would you say this is the best comedy of the year? Um, I, I'd say, yeah, I, well, <laughs> that and Ted Lasso, you know, for different reasons. They're very different shows. You know, Ted Lasso is on Apple TV Plus, and it's about it's about this uh, relentlessly optimistic American college football coach who gets hired to go to Britain and coach a, a soccer team there, a professional soccer team there. And in the first season, um, it, it, the, the owner did it because she wanted to destroy the team, really, because her, her ex-husband loved the team. Uh, but in this next season, um, the, the, everyone connected with the team is sort of this extended oddball family. And it's about sort of the relentless power of being nice and the relentless power of being optimistic. Uh, but it's also about, um, for that character, Ted Lasso, how there's a, there's a dark inspiration uh, for, for, for why he is that way, why he is relently, re relentlessly optimistic. And it's rooted in some serious trauma that he went through when he was younger. And eventually he has to deal with it because he starts having these panic attacks. So they found a way to take a show that it always threatens to become maudlin. It always threatens to become too naive. It always threatens to become sort of treacly because it is rooted in optimism. But right when they get to that line, they find a way to pull it back and, uh, with a with a with a great joke or with a tart comment or with a, an interesting situation, and they, they they never it never crosses the line, and it becomes a show that's about um, you know but you know uh, reinforcing the power of the human spirit uh, without being naive and without being maudlin, and, and and so I really value that comedy because so many comedies, even Succession is the exact opposite. It is rooted in cynicism. It is all about people. Who are toxic people who, who can't even recognize how toxic they are. 
uh, and they're not trying to be better, really. <laughs> and, and, and Ted Lasso is about the opposite of that. So they're both really good, but in very different ways. Here in Connecticut, our governor, Ned Lamont, just referenced Ted Lasso in a talk, uh, saying that it was his favorite TV show, Eric, and now some are calling him Ned Lasso for his optimism. We'll just leave it there. <laughs> there are worse things to be called, I'll right. tell you <laughs> Again, you can join us with Eric Deggins from NPR. He's NPR's TV critic as we talk about the shows to watch uh, as we're all looking forward to some downtime over the holiday. You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We've got to talk about these documentary specials. Let's first talk about Peter Jackson's docuseries, The Beatles Get Back. Here's some playful banter between Paul McCartney and John Lennon. One, two, one, two, three, four. Go on, Al. What? Did what? Go on, Al. Don't interrupt hey, stars when they record hey, hey. We're bloody stars, oh, you know. Don't come in. Cheek. And now your host for this evening, The Bottles. Faster, do you think? Bit faster. One, two, three, four. I just want to keep playing that, Eric. I know you're a fan of the Beatles, but I want to hear from you. Do you think this docu-series really lived up to the hype? What is it, 60 hours of footage trimmed to about eight hours in this docu-series? I'm, I'm working on me Paul McCartney. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> um, I, I think, I guess I watched too much of this. It's almost eight hours, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Um, uh, I, I did really enjoy it. And it's a feat. You know, they, uh, Peter Jackson, who uh, people would recognize as the director of the Lord of the Rings movies, uh, got 60 hours of um, uh, video footage um, and, and 150 hours of audio recordings and combined it together, synced it, used computer technology to enhance the sound so that we could better hear the conversations and to improve the images. So it looks better than the um, the movie that was released so many years ago called Let It Be uh, from these sessions. And, and the main thing that Peter Jackson wanted to, to communicate, and you heard it in that clip, is that um, it's generally thought that, that this project, which was uh, their second to last record, um, um, uh, w- was a terrible experience for the Beatles and, and, and that all of their tensions that eventually fractured the band were coming out in these sessions. But when you look at all the footage, you see they joked around a lot. Um, they they still had a camaraderie, and eventually they did figure out how to work together to create some of these classic songs, like we see "Get Back" go from being something that that John is, or that uh, Paul is kind of strumming on his uh, bass to to the full on sort of classic. Um, you know, kind of amazing, enduring song that it became. Same with Long, The Long and Winding Road and Maxwell's Silver Hammer. There's a lot of songs that we see, um, you know, kind of put together over a long period of time. And the main thing is, if, if, if you're a fan of the Beatles, you get to spend a lot of time with them. You know, the, 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 the camera a just lot. kind of sits with them <laughs> while they are coming up with this stuff. I, I do wish, you know, I've often said about Peter Jackson, even 
in his uh, you know theatrical movies that he needs an editor. He right. needs somebody who can crack the whip and kind of say, you got to streamline this down. And I wish he had done uh, a, a shorter version that people who weren't huge Beatles fans could watch and they could see all the cool stuff, but they wouldn't have to sit through. I mean, after a while, these guys do that sort of jokey, you know, playing the song and, and saying different lyrics and all kinds of stuff. They do that a lot. <laughs> and, and I think for, for uh, people who aren't huge Beatles fans after a while, it can get tiring, but it, it really does communicate. I'm a musician and it really does communicate what it's like to sit in a room and try to create with people and also feel tension with bandmates that you've known for a long time and feel like your creative future maybe lies somewhere else but not quite knowing how to say it to them. And I think you can you can feel all of that if you watch the whole uh, documentary. Right, I'm still uh, working my way through it, Eric, but it's interesting when you think about all of this work and behind the scenes that led to the creation of this one 35-minute album. Exactly, and you know, they set themselves this tremendous task, which was, you know, in, in uh, just over two weeks, they were supposed to write 14 songs, perform them live in front of an audience, record that performance and have that be the record. Now that they didn't, they weren't able to pull that off, but they did write uh, a, a ton of songs in a short period of time. And they are rock and roll classics. I mean, there are songs that we play on the radio and sing even today. We're almost out of time, Eric, but I just wanted to ask you, because we're going into the, the holiday break, uh, any holiday movies or shows that uh, you want to shout out? <laughs> Well, okay, I'm in the camp that says that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. <laughs> I will be watching it at Christmas time. And I'm also in the camp that says that uh, how the Jim Carrey's How the Grinch Stole Christmas is a great movie. And my family will be watching it and quoting the lines to each other like we do every year. I know those are controversial opinions. But, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not much of a holiday movie person other than that. Uh, but we'll watch those two, and we'll also watch A Christmas Story, which is yes. my favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> well, Eric, it tells you a little something about how twisted I am. Oh, well, we love it. We love it. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show. We hope you have a great holiday with your family. Thanks for having me. We'll share uh, more of Eric Duggan's uh, uh, takes on uh, our website and also at Where We Live, including a really great uh, uh talk he did with Pop Culture Happy Hour, NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. We'll share the link all about uh, the Beatles docuseries. Uh, coming up after the break, we're going to talk about the best podcasts of 2021. And if you have a recommendation, you can join us too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. 
I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash elevating health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. From holiday binge watching to binge listening, it can be hard sometimes to find new podcasts to check out. There's so many, and everyone seems to have a best podcast list. Joining us now with a roundup of the 33 best podcasts of 2021 on Zoom with us, Emma Carey. She's a freelance culture and entertainment writer and a weekly contributor to Esquire. Emma, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So let's get right into it. Uh, let's talk about some of the, the podcasts that made it on the top of your list. Uh, what's, how about Stradio Lab? Yeah, I would say I think that definitely has to be my number one of the year, I think, especially because um, it was a year like many people that I was uh, very much in need of some comedic relief. Um, basically, the Stradio Lab is hosted by two comedians, George Severus and Sam Taggart. Um, and their whole kind of tongue-in-cheek mission is um, to unpack straight culture. So they kind of go in with this um, satirical kind of very academic lens, but it's it's a very lighthearted um, conversational podcast where each episode a different guest comes on, typically um, a comedian or, or someone in media who basically comes to the table with um, their favorite or most impactful um, component of quote-unquote straight culture, and they kind of unpack it on air. Um, but it's it's some of the topics are just hilarious, you know, like the things that people find to be very, um, yeah, straight are, you know, things like reading or taking a picture <laughs> with your sibling. Um, so it's just, it's very funny and lighthearted. And I mean, I love a podcast that can feel like you're just like almost eavesdropping in on a friend's conversation. And I feel like every episode, it feels that way. They just um, have such a funny banter with their guests. Uh, let's keep that thread going. When we think about a, sh- a podcast that'll make us laugh, uh, feel like we're a part of the conversation. Um, how about Las Culturistas? Are very popular? Yes, I um, I think Las Culturistas are probably on everybody's best podcast list this year. Um, it's hosted by Bowen Yang, who a lot of people probably know from Saturday Night Live, and Matt Rogers, who's also a very well-known comedian. Um, and basically... They've been um, they've been hosting their series for a couple years, and the mission again started out as um, guests come on with what the moment in pop culture that really made them involved in pop culture from that moment forward, or that really kind of changed the trajectory of their lives. And um, but as the series has gone on, the topics that people come in with are just like so nonsensical and hilarious. Um, And they also have a great variety of guests. They have a lot of, um, again, comedians, but um, they also have people from SNL that are coming in, especially because of Bowen. So it's, it's a very funny and lighthearted conversation. I think, especially if you're looking for pop culture, that's more like talking with friends about it than, you know, having a super analytical conversation about it. It's a great podcast. Uh, another one that that's on your list, uh, comedians poking at the wellness industry, Emma? Yes, I, I think that's a good one that I would, I think if you're someone that's prone to making very lofty uh, New Year's resolutions this year, it might be good to to work into your podcast listening. It's um, called Poog. It's a play on Goop from Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, 
And it's hosted by two comedians, Kate Berlant and Jacqueline Novak, who they've been best friends for years. They've been doing comedy for years. And they're also basically self-proclaimed suckers for the wellness industry. And so they basically just started this series talking about, you know, all of these different cleanses or detoxes or things that they've fallen into. Um, But they're very self-aware. I think it's, you know, to some degree, we all fall into the traps of the wellness industry and trying to find a quick fix for our life. And they just have such a funny analytical way of being very self-effacing about the things that they've, you know, fallen for of, and they've also just like, they've tested out things on air. They've like had a um, live try of a Theragun, like on air, things like that. So um, that's a very funny one that I think might make people a bit less serious about um, those New Year's resolutions, about, about really trying to revamp your healthy lifestyle. We're talking about the best podcasts of 2021. If you have a favorite you want to share, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. And of course, Oprah's on your list, Emma. Yes, of course. Um, I mean, I think, obviously, with the interview between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle this year, I think we all had a reminder of just what an incredible interviewer Oprah Winfrey is, if any of us forgot. Um she has a series called Super Soul Conversations. It's been going for a couple of years, and I think it's it's a very enlightening, um, spirituality-oriented podcast. She has on a myriad of public figures um, that, you know, are maybe specializing in spirituality, but it could be someone like, I mean, of course, it's Oprah. So the guests are pretty wild. She's had on um, Michelle Obama. She's had on, um, of course, you know, People like Brene Brown, who might be more into the spirituality world, but also Beyonce has been on to talk about her spirituality. Um, And it's definitely, it's a very insightful and I think uplifting listen. And also, I mean, she just does such a great job of, I think, having people show a side of themselves that they don't normally maybe show to the public. I think I've left so many episodes being like, wow, I did not ever know that side of that person. So Um, Yeah, it's just a a great conversational podcast. A lot of people will be on the road uh, this uh, in a couple of weeks. uh, And I wanted to talk with you, Emma, about maybe some podcasts uh, when the kids are in the car (laughs) that might also be suitable. Of course. Yeah. So are you looking for uh, for family friendly? I would guess. Yes, definitely. Okay. so (laughs) um, yeah, so I think. One that I actually um, became familiar with this past year, a couple of my friends in New York are involved in the acting scene and um, work with this organization called Story Pirates, which is really interesting. It's basically their whole um, deal is that they have kids write scripts that then professional actors will act out. So and that's now transitioned to a podcast series, which, you know, it can be a kid writes a story that they act out or they've even had if kids write songs, they'll like go, you know, just the whole nine yards with production quality, putting it into this huge song that plays on air. And um, also a really sweet thing with the podcast series is they have a lot of kids on to talk about their work. Um, So I think it's a really great listen for kids, not only because it's family friendly, but it might get your kids thinking of, oh, well, what can I create? I'd love to, you know, do something like this. So it's, it's very fun and lighthearted. And I think very encouraging to young kids to, you know, um, get creative. Great. I'm going to put that one on my list, Emma. And before we let you go, I wanted to give a shout out to NPR member station WAMU, a really uh, great uh, podcast out of that shop, Through the Cracks. Can you briefly tell us about it? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, Through the Cracks is hosted by John Clint Hill. And um, yeah, like you mentioned, it's under WAMU. It covers um, the story of a young girl named Relisha Rudd. Um, when she was eight years old in 2014, uh, she went missing. She she and her family lived in a homeless shelter in Washington, D.C. And when she went missing, it took 18 days for anyone to even realize officially that she had gone missing and for that case to be reported. Um, so basically, the series sets out to just talk about how can this major oversight happen? Um, as, it, as the name implies, it's through the cracks. So it's what are these voids in our society that that let people slip through the cracks and what does that mean about about how we handle people in different situations and each episode kind of really investigates a different aspect of Relisha Red's life and how you know how this environment was cultivated that made her story be so overlooked um and yeah they they just do a really thoughtful job of kind of looking for answers that unfortunately um at the end of the day, there's there's no way to bring justice to that story, but um, they do a really great job of bringing awareness. And um, also at the end of the series, they follow up on how policies in DC have helped to prevent future, um, future Relisha Reds from going missing and whether that actually happened, whether the city has responded and, you know, kind of been more careful of, of looking after people in those kind of situations. Uh, Jason's calling in from North Canyon with some podcast recommendations. Go ahead, Jason. Hey, how's it going? Going well. Uh, so, yeah, uh, if you're looking for a, a fun podcast that's a little educational, there's a podcast called The Dollop, which is about American history that is just phenomenal and hilarious. Um, but currently what I'm binging is uh, Five to Four, a, a podcast about why the Supreme Court sucks. Well, thank you for that, uh, Jason. Uh, Five to four and fun. The dollop uh, all about American history. We'll be sure to tweet out links uh, to those. Uh, Emma, did you want to respond to either of Jason's recommendations? I have to say I'm definitely going to have to check those out. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll have to put those on my queue on Spotify. (laughs) Well, again, we were talking with Emma Carey, a freelance culture and entertainment writer and a weekly contributor at Esquire. We'll be sure to uh, be sure to share your list of 33 best podcasts of 2021 at Where We Live. Emma, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Now, before we talk about the best books of 2021, coming up after the break, it's the last day of Connecticut Public Radio's short end-of-the-year fundraising campaign. We cover a lot here on the show, from the serious to the fun, and we hope you appreciate the voices you hear each day. Now, if you have yet to donate to Connecticut Public, here are two of my colleagues to tell you more. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up Monday, we talk about Christmas Town, Bethlehem, Connecticut, where each year thousands of cards and packages come through this tiny post office just to get one of the post office's special cachet stamps and a postmark from Bethlehem. We talk about this 80-year tradition. That's on Monday. Now, my next guest is here to share some book recommendations for your holiday break. Richard Parent is co-owner of Breakwater Books with his husband, Paul Listro. Richard is joining us now on Zoom. Welcome to the show. 
Hi, thanks. And if you have a book recommendation to share, you can join us too, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Richard, we love talking to small business owners in our state. And before I, I get the, the rundown of best books, can you tell us briefly about how you and your husband uh, came to own uh, Breakwater Books? Sure. Um, we were uh, we were corporate corporate slaves in New York and um, in media, and um, we decided to switch up our lives. And we were look, looking for a, and uh, move permanently up to Connecticut. We still have a place in New York, but um, we were looking for a business to um, purchase and to run together. And Breakwater Books came up at just the right time, and um, so we took it over. We know nothing. We knew nothing at the time about running a bookstore, but had to learn very quickly. And the former owner. Uh, Liza Fix. She was. She stayed with us and worked with us for months and uh, helped us learn about the business. and And then the pandemic came because uh, we bought the bookstore in October of 2019, and you know about four months before the pandemic. So it was an interesting experience being new bookstore owners, um, learning the regular business and then the pandemic business. This sounds like quite a ride, and you're, and you're still here with us. So thank you, uh, Richard, for sharing that and sharing a little bit of your story. And so what, when you're thinking about the books that you're going to carry, the books that are popular this year, you know, what uh, really stood out? Right. Well, um, I think in, in terms of fiction, um, something I, I'm actually in the middle of reading this right now, um, Our Country Friends by Gary Steingart. Um, Steingart, I guess is how I should pronounce it. Um, it's a, speaking of pandemic, it's a book that takes place takes place during the pandemic um, in um, upstate New York. It's a group of a famous author and his wife. They're both Russian. And it's a group of his friends, high school friends, and a famous actor come and stay with them at the sort of right as the pandemic is happening and stay with them for months. And so it's sort of, you know, um, homage to Chekhov. And, um, but it's very funny. And the actor is, it's interesting in the story because the actor uh, doesn't have a name. He's just called the actor in the story, and um, and it's just it's about their relationships and how they um, how they you know deal with the pandemic and about the um, the protests you know around George Floyd, the death of George Floyd, and it's a it's a it's a it's a good read. It's a it's a nice um, you know uh, good re- read for the holidays. Well, I'm glad you said that there's some humor in it, because when you mentioned the pandemic, I'm like, no, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, We just heard from Kate on Facebook, who writes that uh, The Outside Boy by Janine Cummins in her all-time top five books. Do you know anything about that one? I don't, actually. The Outside Boy. I don't. I feel kind of embarrassed. I don't know anything about it. We'll be sure to look that one up and also uh, share that uh, with our listeners. But you mentioned fiction. So can you give us a couple more before we, we talk maybe about young adult? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, the Prophets by Robert Jones Jr. It's a, it's, um, it sounds, you know, it's a tough subject. It's about um, slaves in, um, in the South. Um, in, um, and it's uh, two men. They're, they're uh, a couple, actually. And it's about how the, um, there's a, um, a man in the uh, slave in the community who is, sort of trying to gain favor with the master by becoming a preacher. He's being learning to be a preacher from the master. And through this, he starts to, the community of slaves accepts these two men as a couple. But then once the preacher starts preaching, the preacher sort of turns the community against, against these two men. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough story, but it's so beautifully written that it, um, that really carries you through. And there is, a, there is some hope in it, even though it's a, it's a tough story. 
How that about, was one of my favorites. Yeah. How about young adult? Uh, young adult. Um, well, this is sort of bordering young adult, sort of middle grade, but Pony by R.J. Palacio is a really good um, read. It's a, it's a journey of a, of a boy and his horse, a boy to go find his father. It's a really moving story. And also um, in real young adult, Aristotle and Dante uh, dive into the water of the world. It's a sequel to Aristotle and Dante. Um, I can't remember the, the, the previous one was Aristotle and Dante. I can't remember the rest of the title. Um, but um, that's a really good uh, that's a really good uh, uh, book. And then um, you know Karen McManus has a series of books. Um, it started with One of Us Is Next, and then and the, her third book in this series, they're thrillers for young adults. It's called You Will Be the Death of Me, and there this is kind of a trend in young adults is these sort of thriller um, uh, kind of uh, crime stories, thriller and horrors becoming it used to be you know fantasy was big in young adult and it still is. But I think thrillers and horrors are sort of the next trend in young adult books, and that's a good one. Right, and when we think about um, some books that we'd like to read, you know, over the holiday that can be lighter in tone, do you have any for us? Oh, um, yeah, sure. I'm trying to think. I lighter in tone. My my lighter in tone entry was the Our Country Friends, but um, <laughs> um, you know what's a good one actually is. Um, is the Rose Code by Kate Quinn? It's in historical historical fiction. It's a um, th she's she's written a series of historical um, various historical fiction books, and this one's a good one. Um, um, a lot of people are finding um, um, now. Um, what's it called? The Midnight Library um, by Matt Haig is a very moving story. I mean, it it's about yeah, but that's one that's. Um, that's been really popular. Um, what else? Um, the Lincoln Road is a very by Amor Tolls. People really loved um, um, uh, a gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls, and this is um, this is very different for him. It's not exactly light, but it's it's also about kind of a journey, um, and uh, that's one that's that's proving to be really really popular. You're hearing Richard Parent here on Where We Live, co-owner of Breakwater Books in Guilford, as we talk about uh, some top books to check out from 2021. If you have a book recommendation to share, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, at Where We Live. We love talking about poetry here on the show. Uh, so what are some good ones that maybe you've noticed your customers uh, being attracted to? Yeah, um, Homebody by Rupi Carr. Um, she's written some, The Sun and Her Flowers. She's written, a, she's a Canadian poet. And she's written a, um, several um, books of poetry. And this one has proved to be very popular. It's, it's um, you know, when, when you sell more than one or two of a book of poetry in a bookstore, it's, it's amazing. And this we've sold many, many more than that. Um, also, you know, uh, there was a huge demand this, because uh, it was in the spring, when Louise Gluck, uh, Gluck won the Nobel Prize. And she has a new collection of poetry out called uh, Winter Recipes from the Collective, um, which is actually really great. But, um, I know I'm looking forward to Amanda Gorman's, uh, the presidential inaugural oh, poet, yeah. her, her collection of poetry out now, Call right, Us call what, what We Carry, right? Right. And her single book of The Hill We Climb, I mean, it's a single poem in a book, but we, I can't, we sold so many copies, it's hard. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, and the demand for that book and the anticipation for that um, uh, uh, call is what we carry has been really great. Yeah, We've a, already sold a bunch of it, yeah. Oh, what a talent. Uh, before we run out of time, we'd love to hear you talk about some Connecticut authors. 
Um, sure. Um, um, Maddie Dawson is a Connecticut author. She lives um, close to the bookstore here. And she has a, um, it's called The Magic of Found Objects. She had a funny story for me. She was in the bookstore and she, that's, it's a pseudonym. And she told me that she had, um, a, when she published her first book, it wasn't a success. And the publishers told her when she was going to publish her second book, um, they needed to give her a new name because they wanted to disassociate her from the, um, from the, you know, the failure of the first book. And so they gave her this name. Um, and it wasn't a name she chose. And it was, she said, how about Maddie Dawson? And they said, okay. And she said, okay. So it was kind of a bizarre, um, bizarre story to how she got that name. But it's a, it's, speaking of, this is a light read for um, holiday time. Um, sort of a romantic, um, a romantic story. Yeah. Nice. And for those of us who've been to Toad's Place, there's another one to check oh, out. Of course. Yes. He actually, the authors just came into our store uh, yesterday and signed all our copies of Toad's Place. Uh, it's called Legend, uh, Legendary Toad's Place. And it's about the music venue in New Haven, um, where many, many, um, many, many famous rock bands have played. Some of them impromptu, I think just a few, you know, probably 10 years ago. But the, I know the Stones appeared there out of the blue at one point. Um, unplanned and created kind of a um, you know frenzy as you can imagine and i believe that's co-written by uh, randall beach who was a longtime uh, writer for the new haven register exactly yep mm -hmm. well we're almost out of time it's been a pleasure to hear from you richard and before we let you go you know tell us about you know the the holiday flurry at your your book, bookstore oh, yeah I'm, i was gonna if you asked me how i was when i <laughs> when i started out i was gonna say i'm exhausted because the holiday flurry is 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 relentless it's a it's a it's a it's great but it's and it's fun but it's uh it's a lot there's um um just a lot of uh you know just a lot of business and a lot of demand for books and also there's the concern about the you know supply chain disruptions and and that's kind of exhausting because we're just worried about are things going to come are people going to get things when they when they need them have customers yeah. been understanding Oh, of course. Yeah, they have. They have. But it's uh, it's a worry for me just because we want to, you know, we want to sell as much stuff as we can and, and 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 get people what they want. And it's just it's a little concern because it's just a big unknown. You know, we don't know, especially going into this last week. We don't really know when things are going to come. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. we're we're happy that uh, you know you were able to remain uh, open even through the height of the pandemic, and you know we're we're trying to turn the curve. So uh, yeah. so happy to to hear from you as a small business owner, Richard Parent, co-owner of Breakwater Books in Guilford, Connecticut, co-owned with his husband Paul Listro. Richard, thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Have a great day. We'll try to share uh, some of these great recommendations throughout the hour um, at our website or on our social media at Where We Live. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, te our technical director is Kat Pastor. And our theme music was composed by Hannes Brown. We hope you have a great weekend.